Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, The Love of God. And this is part four of that series, which is focusing on the compelling power of the love of God. This is lesson number 10, and the, the subject of this lesson is the love of God makes us his ambassadors. And so I'm reading now from uh, uh, verse 14 in 2 Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now, now then, now then, when all of the above is the case, the truth, the fact, the reality in our lives, now, then, or then, now, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. The Amplified reads this way in verses 20 and 21. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal as it were through us. We, as Christ's personal representatives, beg you for his sake to lay hold on the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Christ virtually to be sin who knew no sin, so that in and through him we might become endued with, viewed as being in, and examples of the righteousness of God. What we ought to be approved and accepted and in right relationship with him by his goodness. And finally, the uh, Weiss Expanded Translation, verse 20, Therefore, on behalf of Christ and in his place, we are acting as ambassadors as though God were saying, I beg you, please, through us as his intermediate agents. We beg you in Christ's stead, be reconciled at once to God. He who did not know sin in an experiential way, on behalf of us and instead of us, was made the representative or was made the representative of sin in order that as for us, we might become a righteousness of God in him. Now, <laughs> I do not presume that Chester Wright, the man, has any capability of talking about these verses from any kind of meaningful or beneficial way to you. Therefore, I am very, very thrilled to say 
that I know the one in whom I have believed and am confident that what I have committed unto him he is able to keep against that day. And I am confident in being able to say that by the grace of God and through no worthiness of my own, the grace of God spared me when I came to the end of myself on the night of August the 1st, 2003, and gave me the empowerment to be crucified with Christ and to lay my life, myself, and my will completely down at his feet once and for all. And that all I have to have had to do since then is to maintain that deadness to self every day by the same grace that empowered me to submit myself to death the first time. And I can say to you that I know that the Lord himself is going to speak into your mind and spirit the importance of these words because the whole teaching, everything, all four parts of the subject, the love of God, comes down to right here. It all comes down to right here. Am I representing a church? Am I representing a denomination? Am I representing a pastor or myself as the pastor of my church? Uh, am I on a mission that I'm trying to accomplish for Christ? Or am I now his representative? Now, <sighs> Now then, or then, after all the preceding, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador is a very unique office. Being an ambassador is a very unique office, especially when that person is an ambassador of the king in the country that king rules or the government of a nation and the leadership of that government at the time who has asked them to be the ambassador and they've been approved by Congress to be the ambassador. It's probably one of the most powerful uh, delegations of authority that can be known. Outside of the actual president of the United States, no one represents the United States to a particular country or group of countries any more directly than the ambassador does. So when a king sends an ambassador, that ambassador has the authority to speak for the king in the king's place with all the authority and power of the king. The, uh, the word of the king becomes the word of the, of the ambassador. And when that ambassador speaks to the leadership of another nation, he has the full backing of the authority and the power of the United States or of the king and his kingdom behind him and working through him. He's not just representing 
the king or the president. The ambassador is speaking for the king and the president and the entire nation that he represents. He has the full authority and power to speak for that president, that king, and that country. The Holy Ghost did not accidentally choose this word in this place. The Holy Ghost did not accidentally just pick a nice word out to just kind of have a really unique, nice word to use as the summation of everything he was purposing to do for ministry's sake, starting with the declaration that 2 Corinthians 4.1 is talking about ministry and all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5 is talking about ministry. And here in the next to last verse of those two chapters, the Lord is giving us the ultimate understanding of his purpose for ministry. Paul called himself the slave of Christ. He was the bond slave of Christ. He says that. He's a servant of Christ. He's the son of God. Call yourself an apostle. In the will of God, he said. But when he uses the word ambassador here, Every bit of that gets ramped up. Now, in the story of the prodigal, if I'm really understanding what the Holy Ghost is saying through that parable, I'm understanding that the father not only welcomed the prodigal son home, but he restored him to the place of sonship which that place of sonship is equal to or synonymous with an ambassador, being an ambassador. The Lord, uh, the Father, gave the Son the best robe. It was the Father's best robe. Everybody knew it was the robe the father wore on only special occasions. It was the robe that he wore to let everybody know that he was the head of the household. And he put it on the prodigal son. The shoes were apparently in tatters, and so he gave him new shoes, and we know from Ephesians chapter 6 that these shoes represent peace because they're an insulation between us and the bumps and the stones and the, the things of the earth that we could walk on in our barefoot feet and be damaged. So we still are walking on the earth, but we have this insulation of peace between us and life. The father could have stopped right there, put his arm around that boy and said, come on home, son. We'll find you something to do. Glad to have you home. We'll make sure you're not hungry again. We'll find you something to do. The boy was just concerned about having food to eat. 
The son, he was, that was his prayer. Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Let me be your servant. Because in the pig pen, he realized, he came to understand. His eyes were open and he saw that even his father's servants had more than enough to eat. They were taken care of by the father. He came home just looking, not for a restoration of sonship. He wasn't asking for that. He was looking for food for his belly and a place, a meaningful place in his father's domain. But the father didn't let him stop there. The father's not letting you and I stop there. The father's not letting us stop just getting it saved. The father's not letting us stop just getting saved. The father's not letting us stop just be, at just being a servant because that second dimension of, of, of burden, that second dimension of, of growth where we are working for God is the work of a servant, not a son. We get saved as newborn children, but now we start serving God. But our service is never effective enough. We're brought to the end of ourselves, and in that we're now moved into a mature sonship it's equivalent to an ambassador. No wonder John said, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called sons of God. It is not by accident that the man Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was called the Son of God, and that we are called sons of God. It's not by accident that from the perspective of his flesh that he is the firstborn among many brethren. It's not by accident he said, he that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also because greater works than these shall he do, John fourteen twelve. That's not all, none of that's by accident. And Paul understood in the Holy Ghost exactly what he was saying here. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. At this point in this progress of our walk, we have the potential of being a mature son of God, but we're under the law. We're under tutors. And what's the law do? Uh, that's wrong. Fix this. That's whatever. As we're trying to grow up in God, we're being disciplined by the law in all of our shortcomings and our failures. The law disciplines us. The Father uses the law as the rod of discipline to teach us and train us because we're just children growing up. And then we, then we move into a place where we, we, we now have this, we've taken on the, some of the responsibilities that God would give us, but we only have the authority of a servant doing that, and we're doing them for God. We're living for God, we're serving, we're working for God. But then all of that comes to an end at the transition when we're crucified with Christ. And now Christ is living through us. How can we not be full ambassadors when he's being the ambassador himself in and through us? Every one of us who grow to this place in God. 
every one of us. This is, these are the sons of God who are going to be manifested in these last days in the earth. There will be people who are, are still growing in God as children, living for God for themselves, and the Lord's still working on them to try to get them saved and bring them to some kind of maturity. There will be those that are serving God as servants to do his will and his purpose as, his, as servants of God. Because every, even a servant, when he's done with his task and his job, decides what to do with his own life. A servant doesn't obey the master 24-7. He does all the master tells him to do. But even a servant has a few minutes every day where he makes up his own mind, does his own thing. But not so when I've come to the end of myself. I now belong to him fully, 100%. And now by the grace of God, I have, I'm going to stay in that state. And in that state... I am an ambassador for Christ. I am a son of God. Because the father with the prodigal didn't stop at giving him new clothes. The father didn't stop at giving him peace, new shoes. The father took the ring off his finger and put it on the son's finger. Why? Because before there were signatures, which was a man's name, it says, I've agreed to do all this. There were signet rings. And this had a mark on the ring that was raised above the ring. And so when the, when the, uh, the father did business in his own name, he would go and leave a mark behind that was his, that, that was his name. His name marked them. And that signet ring left a mark on them saying, this one is mine. That's why we must receive the name of Jesus in baptism because we become marked as his. Not just his possession, but now his to do with, with whatever, however he chooses to do that. He gave that boy that mark. And that signet ring, no matter if anybody knew that boy's history, if he goes into town to do business or he goes to any neighboring farmer, or businessman to do business for the father. They're not just going to do business with him because of that robe they recognize as the best robe the father had. They're not going to do business with him just because he's cleaned up and has new shoes on his feet. They're going to do business with him because that, that ring that is the signature of the father, the father's mark, that he can bind the father with that mark, he's doing business for the Father and obligates the Father in the Father's name to do what the, the, the ambassador, that mature son of God, says that the Father will do. That's what an ambassador does. And ambassadors can sign treaties. The president doesn't have to go sign a treaty. Ambassadors sign treaties. Presidents may sign treaties, but many, many, many times in, in history, the ambassador for that, that country, for that king, signed the treaty ending wars on behalf of his nation. 
whether as the victor or as the defeated. The ambassador's signature carries weight because they're doing it in the place of the Father. So when I have the keys of the kingdom, these keys also represent exactly the same thing as that signet ring. I have the authority to bind things in the name of the Father. I have the the authority to open and loose things and permit things in the name of the Father. And there are people that have used binding and loosing for their own benefit, and it rarely works for them. And there are those that are servants of the Father that have done some binding and loosing, and it works occasionally for them, but it doesn't work like it was planned to work. Only for these who have completely, fully submitted their wills, their lives, their self to the Lord Jesus Christ through the Father does do those keys of the kingdom work in the way that God desires for them to. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. And the rest of these, this verse just emphasizes all that I just said. Now we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us. Well, he does actually, doesn't he? It's just that he uses our voice, our tongue, our lips, our language. So it's us speaking. But it is God beseeching you by the agency of us. We become his agents. We become his conduits. That's what an ambassador is. An ambassador is not a container. He's a conduit for the authority, for the power of a nation, of a ruler, of a father, depending on the context. That's what we do. This is what prayer is. Prayer is the most powerful ministry possible. Oh, yes, the preaching of the word, the teaching of the word is very important. But there is so much speaking of the word that I can do in prayer as prompted by the Holy Ghost. And that spoken word works when I pray in this first dimension. And it works when I pray in uh, 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 being a child and a son of God in training. And it works when I'm being a servant, being taught the the, the, the goal, the mission, and the responsibilities and the, the labor of, uh, of the mission, the second dimension. But it truly, only, fully works when I am in this third dimension and God works through me. And prayer is effectual. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth accomplishes much. Prayer is the most powerful thing we can do supernaturally. The Lord revealed to us who we are in him at the end of the uh, first chapter of Ephesians, and then he reveals his love for us and all that he did to reconcile us to himself in the second chapter of Ephesians. And then he, he wants us to be wants Christ to be abiding in us, wants us to be strengthened with might in our inner man, wants Christ to be abiding in us. Uh, that's both the spirit of Christ and the anointed word 
in us, at home in us, so that we can be rooted and grounded in his love. He wants us to comprehend or apprehend or uh, uh, receive fully and take a hold of the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of his love. And he wants us to know experientially his love so that we can be filled with all the knowledge of God so that now unto him, Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, the power that is operate, active, activated and operative and being expressed through us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus, generation upon generation forever. Now, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Where is the primary way that is accomplished or that happens? In prayer. Prayer is so important to all of this. The, uh, the first dimension, the child of God prays to get from God what God already promised to give. The second dimension is the prayer of the servant to use me to reach these people. Use me. I want to use me to reach these people so they won't go to hell. The prayer of the third dimension is I don't need to pray for me at all. Because I'm dead to self. I'm content in God. I have no needs. And whatever he's giving, I'm receiving. And if he's not initiating and giving it, I don't want it. And so then, therefore, in this case, the focus of this prayer is eternity. And praying those things and speaking those things in prayer that affect eternity in individuals' lives and in the body of Christ in the earth and in the church as a whole in the earth. These things are critical. These are critical things. And we're supposed to be praying them. And when we pray them, he is able to do and willing to do exceeding abundantly above all that we are even able to utter. And some things that go through our minds that even though it's God speaking them, we just he can put them in our minds and we just can't bring ourselves to the place of actually saying that out loud. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above not just what we speak, but what we think. Why? Because we're now his ambassador. We are his mature sons. We don't just represent him. We're not just representing him as though God did beseech you by us, but we pray you. We're praying for you. Christ In Christ's stead doesn't mean we're doing it in his place, meaning he's not involved, but we are now the conduit of what Christ is praying and saying through us rather than the body of the man Christ Jesus. What God did and said through the body of the man Christ Jesus he is now doing and saying through us as because we are now in his place because we are now the body of Christ in the earth. 
And what was the body of Christ is now the head of the body sitting on the throne of heaven. And all the instructions come from the head to the body. Because the head contains the brain. And all the signals for everything that takes place from the bottom of the head down comes from the brain. Comes from the brain. Now some... God even entrusts us to be his mouthpiece. Some God trusts us to be his eyes. God trusts us to be and utilize his ears. And what great responsibility is there in that? What great responsibility is there in that? That's why I don't want that. If he's not, if I'm not dead to myself so that he can do it through me, because I, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't see with his eyes by myself. I can't hear with his ears. I don't perceive with his heart. I can't speak with his mouth. But if he does it, that's completely different. If he's the one in me doing it, then I'm just the conduit. I'm just the instrument, the vessel that he uses to speak through and to do through. And I can do that. By the grace of God, I can be a conduit. By the grace of God, I can be a conduit. And my prayer is that I, I can be the most neutral conduit he can have. Neutral in the sense that I don't initiate what's flowing. I don't, I don't, I don't determine the rate of the flow. And I don't determine uh, why it's flowing. I just yield to him and let it flow. And that... I want to be neutral in the sense that I'm not trying to control the what, the, the, the degree, or the why, or the where, or the how, or the when. But I also don't want any contamination from my humanity on the inside of that conduit so that what's flowing through me picks up on debris from my humanity and becomes to any degree contaminated by that and I can't do any of that myself I can't make me that I can't do that myself I can't do it I can't do it I can only do what God God's grace empowers me to do I'm reading to you from 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10 1 Corinthians. Paul says, uh, I am the, verse 9, I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I. I didn't do the laboring. But the grace of God, which was with me, did the laboring. It doesn't say that, but that's absolutely implied by, by grammar. So, I'm the least of the apostles that I, that am not meet to be called an apostle. I'm not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but I am what I am. By the grace of God. 
I was a persecutor of the church, therefore I was a persecutor of God, but I am what I am today only because of the grace of God and its ability, the grace, the working of the grace of God's ability to make me what I am. I can't be myself. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain. But I labored, I labored more abundantly than they all. Oh, yet it was not me laboring, but the grace of God which was with me, the grace of God in me, working through me, the grace of God did the laboring because he not only saved me from my past, he made me a conduit. That's what the Lord is saying to us today. The Lord is saying that. And then the scripture is so clear here. Just in case we forgot the whole focus of all of this. Verse 21. For he hath made us, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I am righteous today. But it's not my righteousness. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it. I didn't become righteous through my good deeds. I didn't become righteous by doing right things. I do right things because I yield my members' servants to righteousness. Look it up in Romans 6. That's how I do righteousness. Because I yield my members' servants to righteousness. And Paul explains that whole process in Romans 6. Explains it all right there. And so, here we are. <laughs> here we are. We didn't deserve this. Never have, never will. But he, he who was innocent, took our sins on himself, died in our place, so that we could be made righteousness, righteous in God. And in that place of righteousness... We become heirs of righteousness. And the promises of God gave to Abraham, we become heirs of those same promises because we have the righteousness that Abraham had. Abraham believed God. He didn't believe in God. He believed God when God spoke and made him those promises. And because those promises were impossible for man, and because Abraham believed them with certainty, God accredited that for righteousness. And we've done the same thing, and we do it constantly. God's word says the impossible, but we believe it. And Yes, we try to do it ourselves. We initially try to do it for ourselves. And then we try to do it for God, but through ourselves. But all of that's part of the process to bring me, to convince me I need to come to the end of me so I can move forward in him, in being his ambassador, and being his son, so that the world, whole world can hear the good news. You can be set free from your sins because someone loved you. And that love compels us to give ourselves to him so that he can preach that ministry of reconciliation and work that ministry of reconciliation through us in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would receive this revelation from God. 
and that you would embrace this revelation. And after you've chewed on it a while, even though it's bitter to your flesh, that you will swallow it so that it can become sweet to your inner man. And then he can begin to use you fully as his ambassador for the work in the ministry of reconciliation. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is so, and let it be so. God bless you. Amen.